The scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 25 to 35, and 47 to 58. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up, them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we really thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you, Father, for your blood that was shed for us. And we just pray, Father, today as Robin speaks your word, Lord, that you would anoint him, you would fill him afresh with your spirit, that you would breathe through his words, your spirit into our hearts, God, that you would open our hearts to understand more about deeply about you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I just want to say, you know, thank you to Andrew for his choice of songs. Um, uh, not just because of the, the content, but because they're in 6.8, which really speaks to my Celtic soul. Got <laughs> 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 one dance, anyway. 
So um, if you travel the world, um, as I'm sure many of us here do and have done and will do on a regular basis because the kind of congregation we are, um, you soon come to realize that different parts of the world have different staple foods. So in China and Southeast Asia, the staple is rice. It doesn't matter what else you eat. If you haven't eaten rice, you haven't eaten. Um, I'm told that in some countries in, South a in, in East Asia, there's a saying which basically means that rice is life. And our daughter tells us that in Southern Africa, the staple is pup, um, which is porridge made with maize. That's what Americans and Canadians call corn. The rest of the world calls maize. Um, and not surprisingly, there are sayings in various African languages to the effect that pap or ugali or chima or any one of a number of other names for the same thing is life. Here in Turkey, we live in what you might call the bread belt, <laughs> which stretches from Europe, North Africa, the Middle East, to, in, through into Central and South Asia. And there's a huge range of breads, right? From the flat chapati and roti of, um, of this Indian subcontinent to the black bread that the black, it's not really black, but it's dark bread of Russia. Um, each of them is the staple of the diet of those who bake it. In Afghanistan, uh, bread is such a staple of life that the word for bread, naan, is also just the word for food in general. It's the same word. And like here in Turkey, you're supposed to treat bread with respect. You never throw it. In Afghanistan, even although the, even although, um, the, the, the top of the bread is kind of bumpy and the bottom of the bread is nice and flat and you can, you know, it's easier to spread stuff on, you never turn bread upside down. It's so disrespectful. Um, you never throw it away. I know certainly in our neighborhood in Bachelievler, at least, people still put old bread in plastic bags and hang it on trees. So people can, who need bread can come by and pick it up. But for many of us who are from Western societies, bread is something that comes in plastic bags from the supermarket. And it has no special value in itself. It's just something that uh, holds together the contents of your sandwich, right? or that you spread something on, usually too much Nutella in my case. <laughs> but that's not the background for this morning's passage. Bread has a much deeper meaning in Scripture. So that, for instance, when Jesus instructs us, instructs us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's not just talking about actual bread or even food in general. He's talking about the provision of life itself. And we'll come back to that in a minute. This Sunday, we're starting a series, a new series, as Jason said, in which we look at the seven I am sayings of Jesus in John's gospel. The guys of the pastoral team on, Tuesday, Tuesday, on Thursday were saying, I appear to be obsessed with seven this year because um, there's, I think there's seven, uh, there's seven uh, sessions in the first Wednesday Bible study. Um, after we finish these seven sayings, we're going to go on as we lead up to Easter to the seven last words of Jesus. So this is like the, the, the year of seven for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. 
Anyway, um, so we're looking at Jesus' sayings in John, I am sayings in John gospel, John's gospel. And we're starting with the bread of life. But first of all, we need to figure out why Jesus' I am sayings are even, even a thing, right? Because you and I make I am sayings, all, you know, statements all the time. And no one thinks they're particularly profound, right? You know, I'm going down to the store. I'll be back in half an hour. You know, I'm cold. Can you turn up the heat? I am a doctor or a bus driver or a pastor. It certainly don't, people don't write books about our I am sayings or preach sermons about them for that matter. So what's so special about Jesus's I am sayings? Well, obviously we start with I am, but that's not anything special. It's not like he's the only person in the New Testament who says I am. In the Greek, it's the words ego eimi. And as you might expect, it's actually quite a common expression in, in the New Testament. 48 times in the New Testament, people say, I am. Only seven of those are Jesus' I am statements. For instance, when Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, I am Gabriel. Ego eimi Gabriel. A bunch of times, actually, the best English translation for these two words in Greek, ego eimi, is, it's me. Or if you're a stickler for grammar, it is I. And it's, and it's used that way here in chapter 6, in verse 20, a little bit earlier, where Jesus comes to the disciples walking on the water, and he says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. I think that's really very, very polite to be saying in the middle of a, middle of a storm. On the, it's like, it's me, didn't he be feared? That's what we used to say in Scotland. <laughs> <clears throat> Now, there's a lot written about Jesus' choice to say, I am, in these places. A lot of it echoes back to um, Exodus 3.14, where Moses asks God what his name, his name is, and God says, I am that I am. Actually, it's probably more like, I will be what I will be, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, I'm not convinced, and actually most of the commentators aren't convinced either that that's what's happening here. Because for one thing, devout Jews to this very day, um, don't pronounce God's name. If you ever have a conversation online with a devout Jew, they won't even type God's name. They'll go G underscore D. So, um, when, and in the first century, if you pronounce God's name, would get you stoned. But when Jesus says, I am, people don't get angry. They just get confused. So I don't think that's what's going on. And anyway, if you look at Exodus 3.14, which in most English translations reads, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says, Ego eimi ho'on. I am the one that is. And it goes on to say, tell them that ho'on has sent, me, has sent you. So God's name in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, which is what most of the New Testament uses, isn't actually ego eimi, it's ha'on. So, what I think is important about these sayings is that in each of these cases, Jesus says, I am something. But it isn't exactly clear what that something is at first sight. It's not like if I were to say, well, I'm the lead pastor at, at, um, I'm lead pastor at St. Paul Union Church. Or Mark were to say, I'm the director of the Asia Minor Study Center. 
if you were to follow us around for a couple of days, you could probably figure that out for yourselves. But Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life, or I am the door of the sheep. So it really isn't that surprising that the reaction of the, of the crowd is basically, huh? As I said two weeks ago, John's gospel is a, right of, is a result of many years of reflection on John's time spent with Jesus. Thinking over what he said, what he did, and what it all meant. And John is pretty clear that even when Jesus explains what he means, the crowd and often the disciples get hold of the wrong end of the stick. So, just a little application here. If you've been trying to share the gospel with someone and they just haven't got it, don't be discouraged. It took a while for the disciples to get it. And they had Jesus with them in the flesh. So what was Jesus doing with his I am statements? I think he was referring back to the Old Testament. But not with the I am bit. It's what comes after the I am that's important. I think that in every case, he's saying something like, this is how God met you in the past. But that is fulfilled and expanded now in me and in my ministry. Let me show you what, you mean, what I mean. But first, we need to get some context for today's passage. The, pas the, the passage that was read for us begins with, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did you get here? At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has been on the other side of the lake, had been on the other side of the lake, and after a long day of teaching, he had miraculously fed 5,000 men, and who, who knows how many women and children. Then he went up on the mountain to pray, and he sent the disciples off across the lake in the boat. And in the middle of the night, Jesus walks out into the middle of the lake, across the water, to join the disciples in the boat. And then they all ended up on the other side. So you can understand the surprise of the crowd when they woke up the next morning and expecting to still have Jesus with them and found that he was gone. Where'd he go? Right? Eventually, they track him down on the other side of the lake. And that's where this conversation takes place. Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus knew why they were looking for him. And it wasn't because the miracle that he had done the day before had convinced them that he was God's chosen one. It was because they wanted another free meal. But again and again in John's gospel, we see Jesus take a question or a desire and either turn it around or turn it up a notch. The crowd wants more free bread. And Jesus' response is, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's saying, I can give you something so much better than just bread to eat. Any leftovers will be stale tomorrow. I can give you something that will give you eternal life. 
Now, Jesus has just said that he will give them bread. But I think the only part of that they heard was, do not work for food that spoils. So they ask, what must we do to do the works of God that, that God requires? Now, at this point, most other teachers would have started off on a long list of things to do and not do uh, in order to be a faithful follower of God. And in fact, in Mark 10, when somebody else asks them essentially the same question, Jesus does, does just that. He says, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. But here he says something quite different. In verse 29, he says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. That's all I have to do to have eternal life. That's it. That is both the beauty and the offense of the gospel. There is only one thing needful. There is only one thing that we're called to do. Instead of doing all kinds of things, good things, to gain God's favor, he only calls us to do one thing, to trust in Jesus. Everything else, including that long list or short list that Jesus just gave to the guy in Mark 10, and all kinds of other things, they'll, they'll follow on once we trust in Jesus. Because when we trust in Jesus, God changes our hearts. We don't do that ourselves. God does that. There's only one thing needful. One thing is the work of God, to believe in the one that he has sent. As we do that, God will change our hearts and we'll want to do all the other things because we want to please God. I'll be the desire of our hearts. All right, the crowd says, maybe we're willing to believe in you. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? It's like, hang on a second. Like, just yesterday, they had just seen him feed, miraculously feed, over 5,000 people. But today, they want another sign. And in fact, they have a very specific sign in mind that they want. Because they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And we're back at getting free bread again. <laughs> it's like, almost there. No, still want bread. But it's not so often the way. With us too, we have our hearts set on something. And we ask God to, to do it. Or to give it to us. And meanwhile, God is saying, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I like that thing. That's a good thing. But I have something so much better for you. Look, here it is. But we don't see it. We don't see it because we're so focused on what we want that we can't see what God is offering. That's where the crowd was at. 
they were so focused on getting some more free bread that they couldn't see the eternal life that Jesus was offering them. In 2002, uh, we were at the end of our home assignment in Canada, and we were getting ready, ready to return to Pakistan. As we were being prayed out at one church, you know, you're down in the front of the church, and all these people come down, and they're all praying for you, praying for you, you know, good trip, and a, you know, safety, and fruitful ministry as you go back to Pakistan. And the Lord spoke to Marilyn during that time, as, as, she was being, as we were being prayed for, and said, you're not going back. That's a little awkward, right? All these people are praying for you. And the Lord says, you're not going back. Um, and then she got, a few days later, she got a scripture um, that confirmed it. And she shared her scripture with me. And um, I wasn't convinced. I can't possibly mean that. Because of the context and all this kind of stuff. I did an exegesis on the script, on the text, and that can't possibly. <laughs> just as an aside, just, just as an aside, um, it's God's word. He can use his word to say anything to you that he wants, even if it's not what it says, means in context. Okay? That's. <laughs> okay? The challenge comes, and I think often the church goes um, off. Of course, when the Lord really speaks something to somebody from a passage of Scripture, something that's for them personally, and then they go off and teach that as though that's what Scripture teaches, and it's not the same thing. So the Lord chose a, a, a verse in Isaiah to speak to Marilyn about us staying in, um, in Canada, and I argued with her about it for about two, two weeks. Um, during that time, you know, uh, Pakistan refuses our visa, so I'm, I'm, we're tearing around southern Ontario, going to the consulate in the Toronto, going to the embassy in uh, Ottawa. That didn't really work. They put a stamp in our passport saying, don't give these people a, pass a visa. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so then, we, then I applied for Afghan visas. And there wasn't, a, there wasn't a, cons a consulate or an embassy in Canada at that point. So we sent them down to Washington. And uh, I was pushing every door in sight. Uh, focused on, so focused on getting back to Pakistan. Finally, two weeks later, the Lord spoke to me in my quiet time from Acts 27, where uh, Paul, uh, Luke describes the situation as, you know, we we're going against the wind, making no headway. It was very difficult. And Paul's, Paul's word to the, the, the captain was, we should stay here for the winter. Uh, and that, the Lord spoke that to me. Yeah, you need to stay for the winter. Oh, oh okay. So I went and ate humble pie with Marilyn. I do that a lot. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Marilyn is a prophet in our family. She, uh, I, this, is, this is a terrible confession as a, as a pastor, but she hears God much clearer than I do. Um, so I often check things with her and uh, respect her, her, her wisdom and judgment on that. Um, so we decided to stay in Canada. Five days after that, there was an attack on the school where Marilyn and Sharon would have been if things had gone according to my plan. Six people were killed, and the whole school moved to Thailand. God has something better for us. I was so focused on 
what I felt was the right thing to do, being true to my word. So many people left Pakistan saying they're going to come back and then didn't come back. I wasn't going to be one of those people. Um, God had better things in, plan, in store for us. You know, we stayed in Canada. I became a pastor. Marilyn became a counselor. None of that would have happened if I had stayed so focused on what I wanted to do and not been open to hear what God was saying to me through my wife. That's a word for all men right there. <laughs> so, Exodus 16.35 says, The Israelites ate manna 40 years <clears throat> until they came to a land that was settled. The manna that in the wilderness was God's provision for his people every day for 40 years. And the crowd would really like Jesus to do the same thing again. Provide miraculous bread for them every day. Again, Jesus picks up their desire and he uses it as a springboard to present something infinitely better. Verse 32. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The manna was from God, but it wasn't heavenly bread. It was miraculous earthly bread, right? Just like, you know. But there is a heavenly bread that doesn't fill your belly, but does give life to the whole world. And who wouldn't want that, right? So the crowd bites. Verse 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Now, if that sounds vaguely familiar, it might be because it's pretty much the same thing that Jesus does with the woman at the well, right? Same approach. Jesus models for us here how to connect with the real needs of people and then show how he meets that need and moves beyond it. The woman at the well was looking for water. Jesus offers her living water. The crowd's looking for bread. Jesus offers, offers them the bread of life. This, this principle of starting where people are, not where you think they should be. Okay? When you're sharing the gospel, you start where they're at with what they are thinking about, what they are talking about, and find some way to connect that to Jesus. That's what Jesus does himself. That's the model here in John. Again and again, he does that. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see what I mean about it being the bit after the I am that's important? Jesus is saying, you want me to repeat Moses' miracle of daily manna for you. But that bread only lasted a day. What I offer you lasts forever. It's a bit like watching a poker game. I don't know if any of you watch poker or if I'm now condemning myself to being whatever. <laughs> My son plays poker. Okay. okay. But not with me. <laughs> So I'm just digging myself out of that hole. Anyway, um, so the crowd leaves with, give us more bread. 
And Jesus says, I see your bread and I raise you eternal life. <laughs> you know, the crowd isn't happy with that. You know, they start to grumble. We didn't read about that part because it's not space in the bulletin. But they grumble just like the Israelites grumbled in the, in the desert. And I'm sure that's an echo that's intended in John's gospel. But we jump to verse 47. He says, again, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Remember, bread is more than just something to eat. It's a staple. It's the difference between life and death. It is life itself. Jesus is the difference between life and death. Jesus is life itself. And what's more, he gives that life to all who believe in him. In Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, God says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. There are so many, time, so many things that we can spend our time and effort on. Many of them good things. But they're not what gives life. And they're certainly not what gives eternal life. It says, you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Eternal life is the free gift of God. You have no money, come and eat. It's the free gift of God in Christ Jesus. As he says, there is only one thing we need to do. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Have you done that? Have you believed in the one sent from God? Have you come to the point where you realize that all the other stuff, even good stuff, is like earthly bread? After a while, it goes stale and hard, and it doesn't give you life. There's only one source that continues to give life day in and day out. That's Jesus. Trust in him. Verse 51 and John 6 says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This morning we'll celebrate communion or the Lord's table or Eucharist, depending on what your tradition is and what you call it. And I'll repeat Jesus' words at the Last Supper. Take, eat, this is my body. These aren't just words we say. They embody truth. The truth that only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And every month, we celebrate communion as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us and our absolute dependence upon him. And that's a good thing. But if you only ate once a month, you'd be in a pretty bad way. Jesus goes on to say, Very truly, I tell you, 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He's calling us to feed on him. Not literally, which is what the crowd was really confused about, right? He said, how can this man give us, give us his flesh to eat? Not even symbolically, which is what we do when we celebrate communion. We symbolically feed upon Jesus. And symbolism is important. It actually shapes our, how we see the world. But spiritually, just as our body needs to continue to eat every day or we waste away and die of hunger, so our spirit needs to continually feed on Jesus or we waste away. How do we do that? How do we feed on Jesus? By spending time with him in prayer. By spending time in his word. And once again, I'd encourage you to read the Gospels. Spend time with Jesus. Walk with him. And by spending time meditating on what we've read. So it feeds our souls. You know, be like cows, you know. Cows take the same piece of grass and like, you know, chew it. I don't know how many times. Four times, five times. How many stomachs does a cow have? Four, yeah. So once in, then four times up, right? And then something like that. Anyway, yeah. So don't just read scripture. Meditate on it. Ruminate on it. Chew it. Right? The food is there. But you have to eat it. So Meryl and I were talking, talking about this last night. Um, and she pointed out, bless her heart, um, how skinny I was when we first met. <laughs> um, I was really skinny when we first met. Um, in fact, we got married in the Netherlands. And so uh, in the Netherlands, all, all weddings are civil weddings. So you have a, a civil wedding, and then it's like here. You have a civil wedding, and then you go to church and have your, 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 your um, a blessing, right? So we got married. We were going to have our church wedding on Saturday, so people from outside of Amsterdam would come in for the uh, wedding. But we had our civil wedding on Tuesday because it was free, and we were, we were, che- we were, we were cheap. Um, <laughs> and so after the civil wedding, my roommate turns to Marilyn and goes, are you aware of just how skinny Robin is? And Marilyn goes, it's a bit late now, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, so she was reminding me of this. And, um, and how I still have this problem of being so caught up in what I'm doing that I forget to eat. <clears throat> and she said, you know, the food's in the fridge, but it won't come to you. You need to get up from your computer, go to the fridge and get it and eat it. The same is true for our spiritual nourishment. The food is there in Scripture. But we need to actually get it and eat it. We need to hear God's words to us. We need to engage with Jesus, the bread of life. If we don't, it's not his fault that we're starving. It's because we simply haven't gone to the refrigerator and got the food. So let me encourage you as we start a new year, 
um, to refocus your lives on Jesus, the giver of life. And actually, what I want to do right now is just take a few moments and in silence, give you the opportunity to just reflect on your life and make a commitment to him to make that a priority in your life this year, to go to him, to feed on him in prayer, in Bible study, in meditation. Let's just be silent for a few moments while I give you the opportunity to do that. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life, that there's nowhere else we can go for life but to you. Thank you that you give yourself, you give life freely to all those who believe in you. And Lord, we want to do that. Not just today, not just in this service, but every day, Lord to spend time with you, to feed upon you, to be nourished by you, to be strengthened by you. Help us, Lord, if we need to, to reorganize our schedules to make that happen, to make that possible, that we might be built up and strengthened by you. In your name we pray. Amen.